This is a review of germ cell tumors. A lot of this will be based on a 2014 review paper by Dr. Julie Brown, published um, as a part of the GCIG consensus review. Germ cell tumors present at a median age of 16 to 20 years, increased incidence in African-American and Hispanic women relative to Asian and Caucasian women. There isn't a specific genetic susceptibility. A really easy mnemonic to think about the tumors that are encompassed in germ cell tumors is the acronym DEEP-CT, D-E-E-P-C-T, dysgerminoma, embryonal, endodermal sinus tumors, polyembryonal, choriocarcinoma, and teratoma, both mature and immature. There are increased risks to developing germ cell tumors, gonadal dysgenesis because of uh, lower sex steroids. Women can present with primary amenorrhea and delayed puberty. Turner's mosaics, women with Y chromosomes can have a gonadoblastoma. Swires, which is 46XY, complete gonadal dysgenesis. 30% of patients with Swire syndrome will have dystrominoma, and prophylactic gonadectomy is recommended. These are phenotypically female 46XY patients. These can have um, bimodal distribution, premenarchal, and women over 45. Women will present with pain and a pelvic mass most commonly. If you see an elevated AFP with or without an elevated HCG with pain and a mass, it's virtually diagnostic of a germ cell tumor. You want to check HCG, AFP, LDH, and CA125 preoperatively. The AFP is the most helpful. You also want to check a karyotype because if you suspect gonadal dysgenesis, you would want to remove both ovaries and you'd want to counsel a patient ahead of time unless they're there for symptomatic purposes, in which case you would just proceed to surgery because there's a sense of immediacy and you don't have time to get a karyotype. Imaging, ultrasound, or MRI is preferred. Um, your main workup will be tumor markers, as mentioned, CBC and a comp, pregnancy testing, chest X-ray, and abdominal pelvic imaging, ultrasound or MRI. MIS is reasonable in terms of surgical approach, but there isn't much data. Fertility sparing surgery also appears to be safe and equivalent to patients who have hysterectomy BSO. So fertility preservation would be a USO, omentectomy, biopsies, and a wash. Lymph node evaluation um, would definitely be recommended with dystrominomas, as we'll talk about later, because of a 30% incidence of occult nodal metastases. All other germ cell tumors, however, have a much lower incidence of occult nodal metastases. If the woman's older or completed childbearing, hysterectomy and contralateral oophorectomy is uh, appropriate. If a woman presents with advanced stage germ cell tumor, you would typically debulk this primarily. You have to be aware, though, that rapid regrowth of the tumor can occur. 
And you can always consider neoadjuvant chemotherapy to increase your chance of successful fertility preservation surgery and to avoid postoperative rapid regrowth. But it's important to know standard of care is debulking. Staging has been debated in um, professional circles because pediatrician, pediatric oncologists as well as adult oncologists see these patients. In the pediatric world, staging surgery is a wash, removing the tumor, and biopsying any suspicious implants. That's it. For adults, hysterectomy, BSO, nodes, omentum, and debulking any disease is the standard. So there's a wide variation in surgical practice depending on who you see, how old you are. And we don't really have excellent data that shows us if there's a different biology in tumors that present in pediatric patients versus adult patients. I don't think there's been any prospective trials that really would tell us that. There are some careful settings to consider observation alone after diagnosis of a germ cell tumor. And that is a stage 1A dysgerminoma after comprehensive staging. You can consider no chemo. And a grade 1, stage 1A immature teratoma. All else, chemotherapy. As mentioned, the standard of care is maximal surgical debulking effort. There are prior studies that show with incomplete tumor resection, you place women at an increased risk of progression of disease and poorer chemoresponsiveness to the tumor. Part of standard of care also includes that if an incidental germ cell tumor is noted on final pathology, that woman would get chemotherapy even if stage 1A, if she does not go back for staging. If she goes back for staging, and remains 1A, no chemotherapy is okay, as long as she meets the criteria of dysgerminoma 1A or grade 1, stage 1A, immature teratoma. Standard of care chemotherapy, bleomycin, etoposide, cisplatin, for three to four cycles. Three cycles is typically offered when women have completely resected disease, And that fourth cycle is offered if residual disease is present at the end of surgery, but you can emit the bleomycin at cycle four because obviously bleomycin carries with it a significant risk of pulmonary fibrosis. The maximum bleomycin will range in the literature, but in Dr. Brown's paper, it's 270 milligrams. That's lifetime cap. It's also important to know that bleomycin dosing, the units can be in milligrams, USP, or international units. 30 milligrams is the same as 30,000 international units. Before chemotherapy with bleomycin etoposide cisplatin is given, you need to obtain a chest x-ray, auscultate the patient's lungs with your stethoscope, obtain pulmonary function testing, and if You've already done all of this, but they have new symptoms. You need to repeat this evaluation because there is a significant risk of pulmonary toxicity with this regimen. If you auscultate her lungs and you hear Rawls, or if the chest x-ray shows a consolidation, or if your DLCO decreases by 30%, you would remove bleomycin from your regimen. 
It's also important to know etoposide carries risk as well. MDS and AML ranging between 0.2 and 1%. There's also about 20% of chemo-related infertility that isn't related to the cisplatin. It's not recommended routinely to use Lupron or to delay chemotherapy for egg harvesting, except in very rare circumstances, perhaps a super young person or a very motivated person who just declines your recommendation. We mentioned that stage 1A dysgerminoma is okay to observe, and that's because we can say that there's an 80 to 85% cure rate without chemotherapy. And these are really salvageable tumors, so if recurrence does happen, these can be salvaged with chemotherapy because they're very chemosensitive. With dysgerminomas, 15% will be bilateral. It's important to know that. Very high rate of bilaterality and 30% will have positive lymph nodes. It's also important to note that dysgerminomas are radiation sensitive, but obviously ovarian function would be compromised with radiation. The maximum tolerated radiation dose for oocyte function is about 10 gray, excuse me, about, yeah, about 10 gray, between five and 10 gray. And so you wouldn't want to expose that patient to radiation. Most recurrences will happen within the first two years. If a recurrence occurs, do a history and physical. Get any labs that are relevant. CT, chest, abdomen, pelvis, when they completed chemo, was hopefully done so that you can evaluate if any residual disease was present at the end of their completion of chemo. If you find that there's disease above the diaphragm at diagnosis or at any other point in time, image the brain with an MRI. The risk of brain metastases is significant enough to warrant brain imaging. You need to biopsy recurrence or resect it. This is particularly relevant with immature teratomas. If you find that there are mature teratomatous elements in the primary pathology, they're at risk for mature teratoma at recurrence or just gliosis, neither of which is going to be sensitive to chemotherapy, and you don't want to expose your patient to additional chemotherapy without confirming that it is indeed a recurrence of the cancer. It's very rare to have chemo-resistant disease with germ cell tumors. It's also important to know we think of platinum-sensitive and platinum-resistance very differently with germ cell tumors. A platinum-sensitive tumor is one that, if it recurs, recurs beyond six weeks completion of treatment. Six weeks. A platinum-sensitive or resistant recurrence would be within four to six weeks of the prior platinum treatment. We largely use the testicular literature because there's a large body of testicular research around germ cell tumors. One thing though we do know is that males who have resistant malignant germ cell tumors are very salvageable, but in women, this tends not to be the case. The published approach to salvage is receiving a cycle of VIP or VIP, vinblastine iphosphamide cisplatin. And if the patient responds, Proceed with etoposide and carboplatin, followed by stem cell rescue. 
This is a very intense regimen, but the idea is to be intense at the time of recurrence because these are difficult to salvage when they're platinum resistant. You can also try TIP, which is also based on testicular literature, which is Taxol, Iphosphamide with Mesna, Cisplatin. Now let's go through a little bit of quizzing and patient case-based information. True or false, maximal surgical debulking effort is standard of care for non-gestrimonomatous germ cell tumors. True. As mentioned, previous studies show that incomplete tumor resection will increase risk of progression of disease, decrease chemoresponsiveness, and the alternative to standard of care is neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which you could argue in favor of the risk of rapid regrowth or the risk of debulking and removing fertility options in young women. Okay, case scenario. You have a 19-year-old college student who comes to you for a second opinion on management. She had an ultrasound done because her GYN felt fullness on exam. Her ultrasound showed a 14-centimeter solid more than cystic adnexal mass in the right. The rest of the ultrasound exam was normal. What's your differential for this adnexal mass and how do you work it up preoperatively? Okay, so we always start with a history and physical. Specifically in this case scenario, you wanna ask about menstrual history because if she has primary amenorrhea or delayed puberty, you might be thinking about gonadal dysgenesis, and you might be thinking about getting a chromosome analysis, right? Because if you're an oncologist, cancer's very high in your differential, among all the other common benign adnexal masses. But the fact that this mass is solid and cystic should raise your red flag for concern. You also would get labs, right? So a pregnancy test, of course. Tumor markers for a young woman would include germ cell tumor markers, so AFP, HCG, LDH, and CA125. You know the CA125 could be elevated because she's young, so it may not be helpful because it's not specific. Now, her AFP is elevated. So what do you have? You have a woman with a mass in the adnexa and an elevated AFP. Obviously concerning for a germ cell tumor. But you wouldn't stop there. You would also get a workup thinking for surgery, so a CBC, a type and screen, chest X-ray. If there's a germ cell tumor, you want to understand if there's any chest imaging findings. And if you need to expand your imaging further, like for instance, an MRI, if you're concerned about dysgeminoma, you might want to know about lymph node status, which an ultrasound wouldn't tell you. Okay. Different scenario. 19-year-old college student. She went to her local ER last week for abdominal pain. An ovarian mass was noted with torsion on a scan. She took, was taken to the OR emergently for a laparoscopic USO. She's recovering well now. No pre-op labs were sent because all of this was urgent. And she was treated with uh, by a general surgeon who had a GYN um, for intraoperative consultation. The pathology from her surgery shows immature teratoma grade two, no involved surface, no wash was sent. 
and you obtain post-op imaging and shows she has no evidence of disease on her imaging. What are you going to recommend to her postoperatively? Okay, so standard of care, if you have an incidental malignant ovarian germ cell tumor noted on final path, is to go back and stage. Now, she's 19, so you would assess about fertility preservation desires, and likely she would desire fertility preservation. And so, staging should include lymph nodes, can be up to 18% in all comers, you could talk about the pros and the cons, given her negative CT. Omentum, peritoneal biopsies, and a wash. Laparoscopic would be reasonable, although there's limited data to support that. As long as it appears safe and reasonable, that could be offered to her. If she is final stage 1A, and she's immature teratoma, Grade two, she would need chemotherapy. That's right. So you could argue in this scenario clinically, you could skip the staging because you know you're going to recommend chemotherapy. But what if she was grade one? You may want to err towards the side of staging because you want to better understand if she's comprehensively staged and a stage 1A grade one or if staging changes, or if surgical evaluation changes stage, because she would be a candidate potentially for observation. It's important to know that two-thirds of malignant ovarian germ cell tumors will be confined to one ovary, and that fertility-sparing surgery appears safe and equivalent in patients who undergo HIST-BSO. If you treat her with chemotherapy, immature teratoma, grade two, what chemotherapy would you use? Bleomycin, etoposide, cisplatin. That would be the standard of care. What if she was pregnant? Would you treat? And if yes, when? Well, this is all based on up-to-date. But some data would suggest it's safe to wait until after pregnancy with no adverse impact on long-term outcomes, likely because these are very chemosensitive. But you do need to discuss with the patient and come to a shared plan. If you gave chemotherapy in pregnancy, the first trimester would be the worst window. This is during organogenesis. There's an all-or-none window, weeks one through four, and then through week 10, organogenesis. Once you're past that, so around weeks 12 through 14, it is okay to treat. It's also okay to treat in the third trimester, but avoid within three weeks of your planned due date because chemotherapy will cause fetal myelospression, which can complicate the delivery. If surgery is needed, say she has residual disease on imaging, which you would use with an MRI without contrast, then your second trimester is your best window. This is because the uterus is smaller, you're still pre-viable, and you're past organogenesis. You can also 
plan for earlier delivery if the woman is in the third trimester and try and work with maternal fetal medicine and the patient's own needs. Okay, you have a 24-year-old lawyer, lots of constitutional symptoms noted six months mm -hmm. after her daughter was born. CT scan, chest, abdomen, pelvis, shows multiple tumor implants, diaphragm involved, cul-de-sac tumor, and both ovaries are enlarged. An IR-guided biopsy was obtained, and one of those implants shows grade 3 immature teratoma, and she comes to you for a third opinion on management. What do you recommend? That's right, standard of care, upfront maximal debulking effort. Your alternative is neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which, if it appears unresectable because of disease burden or health status of the patient, you would strongly consider neoadjuvant chemotherapy. You wouldn't recommend it as the standard in this case. What if the patient on her scan showed disease above the diaphragm? That's right, MRI brain. Any disease above the diaphragm, you need to rule out brain metastases with brain MR. What if instead of immature teratoma, her biopsy had showed choriocarcinoma? That's right, an MRI brain would also be needed in cases of choriocarcinoma because there is a higher predisposition to brain metastases. Okay, so you take this patient with the immature teratoma, diffuse disease to the OR for primary tumor debulking. You leave her uterus and part of one ovary behind at her request. There is some residual disease noted on the uterine serosa, the cul-de-sac, and portions of small intestine. What chemo will you offer and how many cycles? That's right, BEP, three cycles if completely resected disease, but in her case, four cycles, which if you need to, you can op omit the bleomycin on cycle four. It's important not to dose reduce if you, can't, if you can avoid it at all and not to delay cycles, even if the counts are low, just to keep going. And again, your max bleo is 270 milligrams. Prior to every bleo BEP cycle, auscultate lungs, chest x-ray, PFTs. Remove bleo if you have Rawls on exam, consolidation on x-ray, or diffusing capacity of the lungs decreases by 30%. Which germ cell tumor is associated with elevated LDH? Dysgerminoma. Which germ cell tumor is associated with elevated AFP? Basically all of the germ cell tumors except dysgerminoma. Okay, another final patient scenario. You have a patient who has a history of a grade three immature, immature teratoma. She had a debulking and four cycles of BEP and comes to you now just over a year after she had completed her treatment and she's complaining of early satiety and constipation. You obtain a chest X-ray of or a CT of chest, abdomen, and pelvis and you see three discrete sites of what looks like probable tumor recurrence. What are you going to recommend? That's right. You're going to recommend biopsy or resection of that recurrence. You are not going to initiate chemotherapy or even declare 
that this is a recurrence of viable cancer until you've confirmed with PATH. Immature teratoma can recur as mature teratoma, and surgery is very helpful in this case to decrease tumor bulk, improve patients' symptoms and quality of life, and also to more appropriately select patients for chemotherapy. Tell me the definition of platinum-resistant recurrence with malignant ovarian germ cell tumors. Platinum resistance is defined as a recurrence within four to six weeks of platinum chemo. And what about platinum-sensitive recurrence? That's right, greater than six weeks completing treatment. What chemo would you recommend if someone presents to you with platinum-resistant recurrent malignant ovarian germ cell tumor? That's right, VIP, vinblastine IFOS cis. If responds, your next cycle is high-dose etoposide carbo plus stem cell rescue. Alternatively, you can also try taxol IFOS cisplatin tip but this is not a very salvageable situation for women, despite what the testicular literature would say for men. What if your patient, you have a patient presents with widely metastatic choreo? What workup would you recommend? That's right. In addition to imaging and lab work, you would get a brain MRI for choreocarcinoma. What one test would help you determine if this was a gestational choreo or a non-gestational choreo? You could look for paternal DNA in the tumor. If there was paternal DNA in the tumor, this would be a placental or gestational choreo. All right, be prepared for a picture of a whitish-yellow solid glistening tumor, and next to it, a histoslide. And you'll be asked, what, it, what, is a, what is this a picture of? Likely, it's going to be a dysgerminoma. It is one of the most common malignant ovarian germ cell tumors. You've got to know 15% bilaterality, 30% nodal mets, very radiosensitive, but avoid in young women because of ovarian failure with exposure to RT, and also asking about primary amenorrhea or delayed puberty because of the risk of gonadal dysgenesis patients. Turner mosaics, Swire, all can develop dysgerminomas. And you would ask for a karyotype before surgery because if they had gonadal dysgenesis, you would advise removing both ovaries. Okay, now you're seeing your patient in follow-up. You've given her a diagnosis of a malignant ovarian germ cell tumor. What are you going to tell her about long-term outcome if she's early stage disease at presentation versus later stage? Well, if she's early stage, you're going to tell her she has an over 90% long-term long outcome, um, positive long-term outcome, over 90%. If she's advanced stage, you're going to say over 80%. So good in both scenarios, but slightly, slightly decreased with advanced stage disease. 